Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the From The Finney podcast with me, Jake. And me, Dan. So... We're back to being a man down this week, as always away in Jersey. Um, however, this week we'll be talking about the 3-0 win against Wigan and much, much more. How are you, mate? How are you? Are you good? Glad yeah. to be back. Yeah, I'm really good. Back in the country, settled, and for, and the first thing I come back to is a 3-0 win. Very There's good. worse things to come back to, oh, like yeah. no signings. <laughs> well, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, not the pain of the deadline day a little bit. Yeah, but, it definitely has. I think most fans feel the same. Uh, we were definitely getting some sarky tweets over the weekend. In fairness, it is going to be two very uh, conflicting consecutive podcasts. <laughs> oh, yeah, completely. But that's the beauty of football. It divides opinion and people are entitled to one. One thing I don't understand is I've seen a lot of people on Facebook and Twitter, oh, you, you're getting blocked. You're getting blocked just because someone's got a different opinion to someone else. It's ridiculous. What, to us? No, just other people. I was going to say, I, 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 didn't, I didn't see us getting involved in any of that. No, 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 not us. Everyone loves us. Well, uh, maybe not, but yeah. Um, in fact, you know what I did see? Um, someone on the PNA Online forum, I don't know if I sent it to you last night. Um, Anything last night? Was talking about why the LEP don't ask the pressing questions, and they said, I'd love to see someone like. FTF or Deepdale Digest or someone other um, get into the press conferences and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'd fucking love to do that. I just can't because I work full time. Yeah. But no, it's nice to be getting some some recognition and that we're sticking in people's minds and all that sort of stuff. I'd go along to the press conferences myself, but I think I'd get banned pretty quickly. (laughs) Yeah, I think most of us probably would. Um, yeah, so yesterday, 3-0 win. Uh, it was a good do. Yeah, Very yeah. unexpected from my point of view. Don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, in the uh, in the previous part, I was going to say yesterday, but um, in the previous part, I think I predicted a 1-0 win with Kiefer, for Wigan for Kiefer Moore scoring for them. Yeah, I think me and Ollie both said something similar as well. Oh. I thought it would have been, uh, I can't remember if it said 2-1 or 2-2. To them, obviously not took two to them, but to to be honest, the uh, the Keith Moore thing was more like, oh, of course that'll happen, Murphy's Law kind of thing. But yeah, um, so come back and bite us in the arse. Yeah, but uh, I think a draw was probably the most expected result. Yeah, certainly on my end, and see us come out and absolutely smash it and 
Uh, yeah, course, I think that's course, that's the the key takeaway for me. It was a brilliant performance from the minute go. Um, I'll, I'll admit, when I saw the starting eleven on Twitter, uh, and I think a few other people were in the same boat, it, it raised a few eyebrows. But you got to hand it to the gaffer that he's got it absolutely bang on. He, he absolutely nailed it yesterday, and I think, as you, as you say, I uh, when I first heard the team and heard Alan Brown on the bench, you just think, oh, hello, what's going on here? Yeah. But um, that's something we'll talk about later, I suppose, Alan Brown. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, one thing about Brown and Barky both being on the bench is, I don't know if it was in the pod that me and Ollie did when you were away, or if it's maybe just something that we've spoken about. Um, but in the past, I know we've referred to Neil's sort of persistent use of his favourites, if you will. Um, so it, like you said it was a bit of an eyebrow raiser that both Brown and Barkey who I think you would put in his favourites category were both on the bench um, especially with the, the running and the work rate that they both get through um, yeah but he, he absolutely nailed it I think the big thing that raised my eyebrow was seeing Louis Malt up top on his own <laughs> yeah I think with uh, Brown and Barkey, you've got to say, I mean, obviously they'll be in Neil's, fo- Neil's favourites, but they're up there in the top five or six players in the squad in terms of ability, I'd say, probably without being too controversial. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I think the one thing that, um, not so much with Barkey, but more with Brown recently, that he seems to have just gone off the boil toward the end of last season and even in the pre-season games in some of them, uh, Southampton one being prime example he look he looks to have just I don't know I wouldn't say slowed down but you know a bit like Maguire did toward the end of last season yeah um where the season with Brown was the fitness thing but yeah as you, as you say it sort of continued and I just wonder if there might have been transfer interest that was kept hushed for Brown which, uh, yeah which uh, maybe threw him off his game a little bit uh possibly uh, but I, don't, I don't want to uh spark too many conspiracy theories yeah I mean let's just say we've not heard anything so um, people needn't get worried but yeah I think going back to the fitness side of things Alan Brown played 41 games last season in all competitions so I think he's 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 due or he's due a bit of slack when he has a bit of a bad performance Oh, not a bad performance, because I wouldn't say he's ever really played bad. He's just not, especially recently, not played up to the level that we've come to expect from him. But all players are, are entitled to that from time to time. It's when it becomes a consistent issue. It's, sorry, it's when it becomes consistent that it becomes an issue. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to yesterday, I think from, from, the, from the start of the game, we pressed them really high. We created chances all over the place. Um, and... I think that was evident with 16 shots in total versus there, 11 shots in total. It was, um, it was definitely a busy game, and they clearly have been told to go out and really harass them. I mean, we'll talk about certain players in more detail, but I think especially having somebody with um, Daniel Johnson's energy in the number 10 really allowed him to press the whole back line quite intensely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. DJ- DJ's not fast, if you know what I mean, but he's sort of scampering. Yeah, like... I, I, I get what you mean. He's He's got um, a unique style, I think, is probably the best way of putting it. 
Um, although I'd say he's made, arguably he's a bit like Pearson, where over the shorter distances he's he's not exactly um, a cart horse. Uh. But yeah, I mean, if you want to delve into a little bit of detail, looking at the numbers of the of the game and the stats and stuff, it was pretty close in terms of possession, uh, total passes from either side, touches of the ball, block shots. We had five block shots, they had three, and various other stats. But when you take that away from it and you look at it as a game of football, which is what most of us do, um, I don't think you'd find anyone saying it was very close, to be honest. No, not at all. Um, we absolutely bossed the first half. Then, yeah. Not so much the second, but still it was... It is enough for us to be quite comfortable. Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I don't think we ever really looked like conceding. I mean, they had a, they had a couple of chances from distance. Um, Josh Windass had definitely one. I don't know if two shots from range that he forced decent saves out of Declan Rudd. Well, and uh, was, was it Macleod, their number eight? Uh, no, I think the number eight was Lee Evans. Uh, Rudd's handling was, uh, was superb. <laughs> That's not a sentence I think I've ever said. <laughs> As uh, Neil referred to in the uh, in the press conference, I just want to um, mention one of my favourite Alex Neil moments ever was after the after Galley's goal, just seeing him standing there applauding. That was good fun. Yeah, Galley's goal was funny the way that he just sort of ran after the touchline and just stood there like, <laughs> "Yeah, I know that was fucking good. Come on, <laughs> come and celebrate with me, boys." Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I think overall it was uh, it was good to get a win on the board, which takes us nicely onto the next topic, yep. which is how good is getting a win on the board? And for me, early doors, it's imperative. Obviously, you want to win the first game, but I think the less said about that Millwall one, the better. Yeah, just write it off. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I have to hats off to Ollie though. He um, he broke it down very well last week. Uh, hopefully for those that listened to the episode made it a little bit more easy to understand as to why I think we struggled against Millwall and, and how credit was probably more due to them um, but yeah I think getting the win on the board yesterday was obviously good for the squad and the players good for the management staff but I think more importantly the fans um, after the last 10 days that we've had especially with the end to the transfer window you kind of felt like yesterday was a must-win game, um, yeah. and I alluded to it at the end of the uh, at the last pod. It, I, I said it almost feels like we're in bad form already. Yeah, it did. It um, was weird, but I think a lot of that was due to the negativity going around. Yeah. Um, after the the disappointing end to the window. Yeah, it was it was a vital win in terms of uh, I should say unifying the fan base, getting giving us all something to get behind and. Yeah, on with as well as the players and management, and and I think the other thing as well, and and we'll again come on to this more in the uh, in the second half, but I think the fact that some divisive players had good games, like they unquestionably had good games, mm. um, helped again in sort of bringing the fans together, if you will, um, for. No, very happy. Came off the game, very pleased. Um, and yeah, football was definitely back for me yesterday. Yeah, it's it's nice for it to be back, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
And another thing we said uh, in the last pod was uh, we needed uh, like a scrappy win. I think I called it. Yeah. But um, I mean, I'll take this one. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. If, uh, yesterday couldn't have been further from scrappy if if we'd tried. The, the only the only reason I didn't say we could we do with a nice comfortable win is genuinely how um, unrealistic a prediction that might have seemed. Yeah, again, with I, all I, the... I, thought, I thought we might scrape a 1 0, but um, to win 3 0 and in the manner we did with the quality of goals that we scored. I mean, mm. Wigan fans, if they've got their own podcast, can probably analyse their defence. But from our point of view, it's just a brilliant attacking performance. Yeah, I, I, I think many fans, I don't think any fans will find anything really to complain about yesterday. Um, well, maybe that we could have scored one or two more, but other than that, there was nothing really. I think I think the opening goal we were probably. Um, I don't. I don't want. I don't want to say something and come across as though I'm taking something away from the players, but I think them having one less man in the area with Joe Garner being told to go off. Yeah, definitely contributed. Definitely helped because. Maguire seemed to get in between two players. Um, it, it was almost like he was never actually marked from, yeah. in the first place, um, which I'm sure Wigan fans would argue that if they had that extra man on the pitch, that it, it, he would have picked up Sean Maguire. But, you know, take nothing away from the quality of the ball and from Galley and the, the quality little flick-on glancing header, whatever you want to call it, from Maguire. I would just say the the way the way Sean Maguire scored it is he came and uh, beat a couple of Wigan players who were marking other men of ours. And I think if he if he'd been nippy enough to escape Garner, he'd have won that header either way. So, yeah, I mean, which in plenty of Joe Garner, he was, he, he was never uh, the nippy type, if you will. Maguire could have easily got away from him. I think. Yeah, you'd like to think. That's so. I mean, the referee sent him off the pitch because he had a potential head injury. So. Well, it was because the physios came on. So where I sit in the finney, um, obviously he took that ball flush in the face, went down, and in typical Joe Garner fashion, he was, you know, he took a few minutes to sort of gather himself, and then he was getting back up on the pitch. And you could see the Wigan players that were stood around him were like, they were waving to the to the medical staff not to come on. But I think, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm sure someone will. If I am wrong, but it's protocol that if the referee thinks there's a head injury, that he has to get the medical team to come on. Yeah. I think so, so I think he waved them on. They'd just come on the pitch maybe about 10 yards or so. And obviously, Garner wasn't aware, but the ref. Right. Say it again. And, they got, and he got up and they went back. They? Yeah, he got up, they went back. But by the letter of the law, if the medical staff have come on, you've got to go off. Um, so he protested it a little bit and obviously ended up wandering off and stood on the touchline. Uh, and yeah, then we scored. Happy days. Yeah. You'll find no complaints from me. Yeah, it's just as likely to happen to us at some point this season. Yeah, so. exactly. As, 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 as people remind us that we're not allowed to complain. <laughs> I'm sure we will. I'm absolutely 100% confident that we will. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, the second goal. Again, I don't. I, I won't go into it too much because we're going to come on to DJ in the second half. But he, the quality of the ball that he put in, and then 
finding Louis Malt pretty much slap bang in the centre of the box. Uh, he got down to it well and headed it past uh, Marshall. It was, again, high press. It was, it was an example of how we'd set off playing from the start of the game. Um, and obviously resulting in a goal, which from a fan's point of view and from a coaching point of view is what you want to see. Your, your tactics and your methods are paying off with that. Um, so, yeah, I think the first two, very pleasing. And then oh, the last goal, I don't really have the words to, just, to do it justice. Um, it was the atypical Paul Gallagher, if you will. It's what he's known for. Quality from dead ball situations. Um, and, yeah, it just... I mean, from where I was sat in the Finney, when I saw it happen live, I actually thought it had taken a deflection off one of the wall. And that's what had sent it past the keeper. I think a bit like... I think a bit like Harrops. It was either against Sunderland or Cardiff. Oh, the, uh, the Sunderland one nicked off someone's head, yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a bit similar to that, but... Obviously, then saw the highlights and stuff last night. That was just a fucking worldie, wasn't it? <laughs> it was just a fucking on the postage stamp, literally. Uh, he had probably two foot of net to find, and and he found it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, every, every well, last couple of years we've always wondered about Galley and whether he'll contribute the same thing. And but I mean, he had a hand in all three goals last night. Yeah. Put the corner in for the first. He played that brilliant ball into the channel for DJ. Yeah. The second. And obviously... Just a free assist, if you will. Yeah, he had more than a hand in the third. <laughs> he had a big hand in the third. Um, but, yeah, it was one of them that... I think even if you'd have had David De Gea or if you had one of the best keepers in the world in that, they would have never gotten near it. Never. It was just one of them that... It, it was destined to find the back of the net. Um, but talking of keepers, um, before we go on to a break, I think it's um, about time, not about time, but credit where it's due, I think, for Declan and his performance yesterday. Yeah. Because uh, we've not been the kindest to Declan, I think. No, but with reason, I think. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say that it was unwarranted criticism oh no not at all um obviously he's got his fans he's got his detractors if that's the right word i don't know anyway he's got his fans he's got people that don't like him um and i think the one thing that we always try and do is to be um critical in the right way if yeah you will you know we, we base things off not just what we see but try and delve a little bit deeper into things with sort of facts and figures as well. Um, so I, I don't think the, the criticism that Declan's received from us, whether he's heard of it or aware of it, I have no idea. But obviously there's a few hundred people that listen to this podcast that are and that follow us on social media. But, you know, I'll hold my hands up. Um, like I said before, credit where it's due. He played really well yesterday, um, made a couple of decent saves kept a clean sheet but I think like you mentioned before the, the biggest thing for me that stood out was um, his confidence and his handling of not just the ball but everything that sort of came the back five's way 
it was a, ooh, it's one game, so I don't want to yeah, say exactly. I, I, I don't, I don't want to say it looked um, completely different, completely a changed goalkeeper, if you will. Quite no, yet. He's got, to, he's got to show that consistently, hasn't he? I mean, seven, eight of those games in a row. I mean, obviously, he's not going to. We're not going to keep that many clean sheets in a row. No. Well, I think we did we not keep eleven in a row with Pickford in that. Sorry, did we not keep eleven clean sheets in a row with Pickford in that? Well, I think Pickford's a, a special case, isn't it? Very true. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. I take that back. I'm not trying to compare Pickford to Rudd or vice versa. <laughs> it's unfair on both. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see with Rudd. It was a. He had a good game. His, hand, his handling was very good. He seemed quite assured in everything he was doing. Made yeah, I think one thing that took me by surprise was in the second half, someone played a pass back to him and I think Kiefer Moore was chasing it down and it it looked to be on his wrong foot and he just sprayed a pass out to the left to either Ben Davis or Andrew Hughes. I can't remember who it was. And I, I just looked at the guy that I was sat next to and I was like, did you just see that? Right. I thought his distribution was very good yesterday. Yeah, though. I was like, he's just spraying passes around like he's bloody Javi Alonso. <laughs> there was a moment in the first half where he found Darnell Fisher with a uh, with a seventy-five yard ping out to the yeah. right as well. He was loving it. No, every credit to him. Um, he had a good game yesterday. Mm. But as we mentioned just a minute ago, for me, he's got to show that form consistently now. He's shown he can do it, and he showed him in flashes last season he could do it. The game against Norwich was probably one similar to yesterday that stood out. But out of a whole season last season, that's just one game. I, I can't really think of any of the games last season that he had total control from start to finish. Um, so, yeah, I think for, for me, he can still change my mind, but it's a very long road ahead. And the fact that he's only got this season left on his contract, uh, I I would say that my mind still won't be changed come the end of the season, but we'll see. And I've no doubt people will pull me up on that again on social media. You wouldn't give him that long? I think if, I think if he has a good season, I'd probably be, probably be all right with him staying. Well, uh, yeah, if he has a good season, I wouldn't have an issue with him staying. Um, but... Well, you'd, want, you'd, you'd still want a new number one. I'd still want a new number one in because for the past season and a half, I think he's he's shown not just in glimpses. Um, you know, people point to the obvious, the Birmingham away era um, and another, I think there's one or two others that are obvious that stand out. But for me, it's the, it's the things like Millwall where it's a save that he's comfortably getting two hands to and should be keeping out the back of the net, not pushing into the side of the net. Or the Rotherham game away last season, the free kick, he dived completely the wrong way. Yeah. Um, but the Birmingham one, I'm always almost tempted to not entirely disregard it because it does show a certain lack of concentration, maybe that I think Rudd can be accused of sometimes. But the Birmingham one was such a freak incident. It was so, it was yeah, so it was. sort of top end of that scale that you've got to think. It's maybe not the fairest thing to judge his whole performance on. If, yeah. If you know what, quite where I'm coming from. But yeah, no, I do. I think I think the fact that a few of the national media outlets jumped on it straight away 
as yeah. well tells you how infrequently stuff like that happens. Yeah. Um, well, things like diving the wrong way for a free kick, um, bad handling. Bad handling, saves that he's getting down to the right way, but he's just not getting anything on. Um, I think in the in the piece that I wrote for the website, uh, a goalkeeping conundrum, I, I, I sort of pointed out a few different games where there was errors or lapses in judgment or concentration that I just think as a keeper at this level, you should not be doing. Uh, and especially at his age, someone that's played in the Premier League for 11 games in a row or whatever it was, he's been in and around squads in the Premier League, consist almost consistently played in the Championship, bar maybe one or two spells in League One or... With us. He, he, had a spell with, he had a spell with us, didn't he? Yeah, was he not... A, uh, was he not on loan at Charlton as well and Char- before he signed him? Was it Charlton? Somewhere anyway. Oh, Maxwell out to Charlton as well. So that's yeah. Uh, I'm sure again someone will take great pleasure in giving us the facts. Um, but hopefully we aren't peddling nonsense. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, for, for someone of his experience and who's played consistently at a high level. Yeah, he did, he did have a line at Charlton. Yeah. yeah, I thought it was. It was the season before we signed him, wasn't it? Yeah. 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 Oh, it was after he came on loan to us for the first time. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my memory's not that bad. Um, so, yeah, he, he's got, for me, he's got a long way to go to prove that he's a good enough keeper at this level. I mean, fucking hell! If we end up winning the league with him in there as number one, what what can I what have I got to complain about there? Nothing. But I think everyone will agree with me that the chances of that happening are slim to none. Um, but no, and to to wrap part one up, I think we'll finish on a well done deck. You know, good performance. Yeah. Um, plenty of positives to take from it, Eat aside from the clean sheet. And let's just see more of it, really. I don't think you need to say anything else than other than that. However, I will say, um, I don't really know what that says for Connor Ripley. I th- I assumed he would start the season, Ripley. I think most people did, to be honest. Um, you know, I, I'm not one for speculating, and I don't know if this is true or not, but it, it's been doing the rounds on social media and whatnot that Connor Ripley's a bit of a pain in the arse in the dressing room and around the place so again I'm not saying that's true so um, take from it what you will but yeah that's the word on the street if you will yeah it's um, it's a strange one because obviously we don't we don't know that for a fact no, you can't unless you actually, you actually work with the guy but um, we tend to do our research into players before we sign them so yeah I suppose you never know until they're actually in, do you? It, it would it would be an odd thing, wouldn't it? Because I think I think I'm sure it was at the last fans forum. Alex Neal said that um, they do as much, if not more, research into a player and him as a person and his personality as they do into into his ability before they sign him. And he's, I'm sure he said that he would rather sign a player of lesser ability if he was a better person over a player who was better but had a shit attitude. Yeah. Um so yeah, the fact that if if it is true about Ripley and we've brought him in, um 
Yeah, it begs the question of how has that, that happened, I think. I'm, I'm still of the opinion that Ripley was a little bit of a panic guy. Yeah, I think he was. When it came clear, well, I mean, obviously we've said Rudd's had a decent game last game, but to go back to slagging him off <laughs> in a, in a while. <laughs> There'll be some people that'll just be like, you just can't help yourselves, can you? <laughs> But, I mean, when it became clear in January last year that neither him or Maxwell were, at the time, a reliable option. Yeah. We were getting on towards the 28th, 29th of January, and we thought, oh, we better get someone in here. I mean, there's only so much time you've got to do research. Yeah. Um, personality. I think we just sort of ended up with Ripley because he was, he was available. I think at the time it, it was clear that Maxwell wasn't going to play for us again. Um I think the other question and thing, the, sorry, I think the other thing that you have to question is the Michael Crow buy. Oh, well, uh, hmm. You know, he, he's, as Ollie frequently says, he, it's almost like he's just been brought in as a bloody mascot. Yeah. He had one game, he was shocking, and he's never been anywhere near since. I think he was, he was brought in as a third choice keeper because I don't. I don't know if Alex Neal wants to use Matt Hudson. Mm, yeah. I think Crow was brought in as a third, just a safe option. I don't think we'll be paying him very much because he's one of those players who's had a strange career being a a third-choice goalkeeper for most of his career. and He's only ever made, what, 20-odd appearances? Is that? Something like that. Yeah, yeah, it's an odd one, but yeah. I think I think we've covered the keepers enough, haven't we, in the past? Yeah, not yeah. spend uh, not yeah, spend too long on it. So yeah, we'll call that part one, mate. Okay. Um, we'll have a little break and then we'll come back into part two. So yeah, thanks for listening. Um, stick with us; we've got plenty more to come. part two of episode 11 of the From the Finney podcast. Uh, in part two, we're going to talk about Daniel Johnson, Louis Moult, and the Brown-Gallagher-Pearson conundrum in midfield. So, should we start with uh, DJ? Yeah, I yeah. think um, it, yesterday was probably one of his best performances in a long time for us. Oh, definitely for a while, yeah. And the fact that that came with him playing as a number 10, I think is no coincidence. Um, I think DJ as a number 10 is an emphatic yes from me. He He's he's shown over the years that he's been here that he's exceptionally creative when he wants to be. Um, much like Gally, he can find a pass. Um, and yeah, like we said yesterday, he played in that 10 role, much like he did when he first came in when we were in League One. And I think he scored 10 goals that season. Yeah. Um, obviously, he's already off the mark in terms of assists with getting two yesterday. Um, but I think as well as the creativity yesterday, he showed how much of a nuisance he can be in that position. Um, 
he won two free kicks early on that were in and around the box that on another day could have could have resulted in more than what they did, which was nothing. He seemed uh, to up really nicely with Billy Bowden as well. They uh, seemed to have a bit of an understanding together as well. Yeah, I think with both the wide players, um, I, know, I don't know if I noticed it more because it was on my side of the ground, but I think he, he, the way that he, he sort of interchanged and linked up with Maguire on the left mm. and the two of them sort of swapping over and crossing around worked really well. And obviously that paid off for um, Louis Malt's goal. Yeah, um, I think the constant movement between the front three in general, to be honest, troubled Wigan. Um, but he, the way that he switched sort of in and out with Maguire, um, obviously before the the Louis Malt goal, he was out wide. Well, he picked the ball up just I think on the corner of the eighteen yard box, knocked it out wide, found a bit of space, looked up. And I think that's the key point. He looked up and he saw that there was an opportunity to get the ball and he didn't do what often players do and that's just smash a ball into the box and hope for the best. Yeah. Yeah, he actually looked up and and picked a pass uh, and obviously found Louis Malt who got down to it really well and put us 2-0 up. Um, but... I can't really say too much about him, to be honest, other than he was just fucking great yesterday. Uh, we have been his harshest critics sometimes, DJ, uh, especially when we uh, sat and watched the uh, Southampton friendly together. Yeah, he was. He looked nowhere near it. Particularly questionable, that game. But um, I think in the 10, the way Neil uh, tends to use the number 10 is to have them running down into the channels. So yeah. you, we've used Alan Brown there before. He's not the quickest, so it's not the quickest. But what he will give you, and I think it showed yesterday, is that DJ tired quite a lot toward the end. Alan Brown, I'm not saying he doesn't get tired, but he he will just never ever stop giving everything. Yeah, but um, DJ moving into the channels, he's very, very, very effective. Yeah, like you said, his link-up play with Bowden on the right, and obviously with Maguire on the left, um, was was key in terms of moving around the front three, created space for the likes of Louis Malt to run into or the full backs. Um, it, it was just overall a good performance. I think for me yesterday, he was my man of the match. Um, I think it's the only thing that annoys me a little bit about the man of the matches that get officially given at games is that it I think it tends to go with the scorer or yeah. best goal. Yeah. If, if there's two or three contenders, it'll generally be the one that scored a goal. Yeah. Um, but I think DJ worked his bollocks off. He got two assists. Um, uh, he wasn't directly involved in winning the free kick for Galley's goal, but obviously he was involved in the free kick, so it was his second assist. Yeah. Um, but no, yeah, I think he was definitely my man of the match yesterday, without a doubt. Mm. Yeah, I'd probably say so. Although, ooh, I'd also been tempted to give it to Bowden, but it, that would have had, more would have had to actually come from the stuff that Bowden did. Yeah, uh, see, we were saying at half time um, that we thought Bill had probably been a little bit quiet. There'd been in terms of his contributions, um, he 
looks like Billy usually does, which is for me the best that we've had at the club since McGeady in terms of technical ability. He can go either way. Um, he's comfortable on both right and left feet. He can beat a man or four. Um, you know, and some of some of his his uh, I hate using this word, but some of his skills yesterday makes me feel like I'm in primary school. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of his techers yesterday were just uh, unbelievable. <laughs> I think there was a point on the right hand side in the first half where he had three or four Wigan players around him, and about three times I'm thinking he's fucked it up, he's lost the ball, and then he, he ends up like running into the box and getting a cross off or a pass off. Yeah, it's like flipping out, man. How'd you do it? But I think, like we've said in the past before, if you're wearing the R9 boots. You know you're a baller. You're either a baller or you're a bullshitter. <laughs> you either think you're really good and you're not, or you are actually really good. And Bill is really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think going back to DJ, um, hats off to him. I think yeah. the other the other thing, and this is more a criticism of Alex Neal, but obviously he, he sees more of him in training. Um, he's used him, I think, in the wrong position. And I don't think many people would disagree with that. He's, he's usually played as part of the sort of... Deeper line. Right? Yeah, the deeper line, sort of central two. He's used him as a six um, a fair bit, especially um, towards the end of last year when Galli had to play sort of wide left in a free run. Johnson was picking up the slack as um, Pearson's sort of deep line partner. Yeah, and it just doesn't suit him. No, you get so much less room there and you have to get more involved you have to be combative and mm. and I like DJ's um, overall uh, especially given what he got up to in League One and stuff he's probably one of my favourite players at the club in a way yeah um, but combative is just not what he is you'll very well, you'll very rarely see him um, I think I think what Neil's maybe 50-50 let alone coming out yeah, well, another thing that stood out to me yesterday, I think I counted that he won four or five headers. Yeah. Which, for DJ, is like astronomical numbers. But I think the one thing that I, I can kind of see where Alex Neal might have been going with playing him in that deeper role is we know he's got the ability to pick a pass. So I'm, I was thinking last season that he's maybe... So sort of like you said, with Galley moving off to the that sort of inside left position, um, that he was maybe trying to use him in the Galley role, not so much as as a breaker up of breaker upper, if you will, like breaking up play, but more trying to switch the play, pick a pass. Um, but yeah, for whatever reason, whenever he was playing that role, more often than not last season, it just it wasn't him really. Yeah, in the in the ten, he can. Make his, he can make his runs. I mean, we mentioned before that he's quite quick over a short distance. Yeah. You saw, I mean, that's what uh, initially led to the Malt goal was there being not really much going on on the left-hand side. DJ making this darting run into the uh, into the left-hand channel and Galley picking him out superbly and then mm. it just came, uh, well, probably from Wigan's perspective, a little bit too easily from that point onwards. Yeah, I was having a, a, I had a quick skim over Paul Cook's post-match uh, words yesterday, and he he referred to yesterday as deja vu, which yeah, I'll give him that. Probably was from a Wigan point of view, <laughs> definitely. Um, 
but yeah, I think, like I said at the start of this sort of segment, it's uh, it's it's a massive yes from me. I'd like to see DJ in that role more often. Um, Especially because when we broke, we sort of moved into a four-one-four-one with yeah. a, well, uh, just a front five really going forwards. And DJ would get himself in there and. That's sort of how he scored a lot of goals, really. And I don't know if you remember, but really early on, when just after we signed him in League One, yeah, he took he took a couple of games to settle in, but then he scored in something ridiculous, like seven of the last of the next ten games. Yeah, it was, was by getting forward almost as a second striker and get, and get a little bit Frank Lampardy sort of arriving late in the box and finishing off. Yeah, I think one of the standout things from that season for me about DJ was his ability to do what I call the Gallagher role mm. where he would get the ball to fit and not immediately have an option on and uh, I mean people have probably seen it from Galley f- many many times but he does this thing where he'll roll his foot over the top of the ball yeah, sort of like create a bit of space for himself and then he just pings the shot off and DJ when he came in in League One was doing that as well um, and was just he would find Perlers, um, you know, bending shots into the bottom left, top left corner, uh, right corner, sorry. Bottom left from the right-hand side specifically would be. <laughs> yeah, um, from either around the edge of the box or just outside the box. Um, you know, and I think that's one thing that has gone out of his game a little bit. Um, yeah. Obviously, he's taken penalties quite often in the last few years as well. Yeah. One goal like that I particularly remember is um, Charlton away. The, the game that Galley scored that insane goal. You know, oh, like, yeah, see, I don't remember anything other than that insane goal. Uh, uh, the, thir- the third goal that game was one of those where uh, Johnson picked it up on the edge of the box, just shifted it out of his feet and bent it into the top left. That was a worldly yeah. stuff, but uh, He's got it in his locker, definitely sad. does. Mm. But like, like you said, I think him playing in that 10, sort of in behind... Um, it is his ability to sort of pick a pass in the tight spaces is really good. Um, yeah. And again, that showed yesterday. He's a very technically gifted player. I think yeah. if we do use him in the 10 from now on, we may have to... Uh, I mean, we've been talking about Harrop a little bit on the, on the pod recently and whether he's been given enough of a chance, whether he'll ever actually come good. I think, but I think with Brown as a right-footed option in the ten and DJ as a left, it's going to become more and more difficult to see where Harrop's going to fit into this side. Yeah, I've seen it on online and on social media over the last few weeks, but I wouldn't be surprised if come January Harrop ends up going out on loan. Mm. Um, I mean, barring injuries or a serious drop in form from someone, you struggle to see where he gets in. Um, you know, like we said in, in the other pod, he's played something like 46 games for us in his time here. Now, most of them were off the bench, but I think that says something in of itself as well. Yeah. It also shows he's not doing a great enough in training to really boost himself ahead of these players. Yeah, you'd think so. You'd definitely think so. Um, but I think moving on to the next bit... One player who must have been doing shit hot in training recently because he seems to have just come in out of nowhere is uh, Louis Malt. Um, much like Declan Rudd, I'm usually the first to slate him, so in this instance, I'll be the first to praise him. 
Um, he worked his bollocks off yesterday. He linked play really well. And he caused Wigan's back four all sorts of problems. Um, so, yeah, hats off. Another one that was a contender for man of the match for me. Yeah. And, yeah, he fully deserved his goal. Yeah. Is, um one thing, I've, one thing I've said in my notes is uh, his touch still lets him down a little bit. There are, there are a couple of times where we look to him to hold the ball up or um, yeah. take, take an important touch in and around the box. They sort of let, let, let it get away from him, which still points out that maybe he's not quite there technically to be um, a properly effective member of the squad. But, I mean, he scored his goal. He chased brilliantly. He, yeah. closed, he closed down really well. I think, for me, one thing that his goal showed yesterday, which I've never really seen from him before, um, is his movement. You know, he timed that run into the box perfectly. He got yeah. down to the ball well because it wasn't partic- It wasn't exactly head high. No. Um, so he, he got down to it really well. Obviously, there's no doubt about his finishing ability. That was clear to see from his time in Scotland. Yeah. Um, he knows where the net is, but... I think one one big question mark for me that I've always had over Louis um Dolphins in the positions is that and his physicality um he's always looked a little bit not off the pace but easily sort of pushed aside if you will yeah. um and the lads that I was sat with yesterday we we noticed that he looks to have bulked up a little bit over the summer he seemed to fill the shirt out a lot more than previously. Um, I mean, it could just be that we've got tight shirts. I don't know, <laughs> but he, he did. He did look to have bulked out a little bit, and I think that helped him yesterday. Um, obviously, playing up up against someone like Kipre at the back for Wigan, who's a, an absolute man mountain. Yeah. Um, yeah, that coupled with his his, his mobility, because I think we've never really questioned his mobility. It's more being his physicality and the rest of his play. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Hats off to him. Hats off to the coaching staff because you'd, you'd imagine that they've worked a lot with him over the summer. But again, it's weird because the the word was that he was he was all but set to leave on loan. Um, yeah. I saw from a local journo down south that Charlton were close to a loan move for him. So I don't know what's happened there. Um, but Maybe I'm, I'm not complaining. They signed another striker, and we thought better keep him around. Yeah, yeah. Um, what I think, what yesterday's performance for me does bring up is if he, if if Louis keeps that sort of performance up, and the manager keeps playing him, I really struggle to see where Stockley's going to get a look in, bar an injury. Or cup games. When he, he came off the bench, he did quite well. I mean, and I, you think? I honestly thought he did next to fuck all when he came on. We we differ in opinion, I think, on Stockley a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I think we do. I, I quite like him. He um, there was one moment in particular that stands out. He collected the ball, took a great touch, beat a man, and then pinged it out to um, I think Maguire on the left hand side, and. It's just, he definitely has the ability to link up. He just needs to do Yeah, that. he does. I'm not questioning that. On a more just... basis. But I think off the bench, he's a great option. 
Oh yeah, definitely off the bench. I just think for for Jaden, you'd imagine that he's looking to become more of a regular starter. Um, wow. And I suppose if Malt if Malt's scoring goals, then it's up to Stockley and training and off the bench to muscle aside. side. We'd we'd rather be picking between two strikers who are really pushing than two strikers who just aren't scoring goals. Oh yeah, without a doubt. Don't get me wrong, it's not a bad position to be in if one's scoring goals and the other one's chomping at the bit to get on. Um, but yeah, I just I, I fail to see how he forces his way into the manager's thinking. Um, but again, you know, it's it's as it stands at the moment, it's credit to Louis. He's got to keep them performances up. And like you said, it's up to Jaden to come off the bench and change the manager's mind uh, and force a way in. And I suspect an opportunity will be Tuesday night at Bradford. Yeah, I think he'll start that, as will a lot of people. Yeah, we might actually see Josh Harrop for the first time this season. Yeah, I think Harrop will play. I think um, Rafferty will play. Yeah. Bayless will get a debut. Andre Green will probably play. Yeah, I was going to say, I think Green will play. Um, I think Rafferty will play at left-back, and I think either Clark or Fisher will play again at right-back. I think Jordan Story will come in for Patrick Bauer or Ben Davis, but hopefully Bauer and I think keep that sort of balance right in the centre of defence at least. The right foot, left foot balance. Yeah, and then I would suspect Ripley will play in that. However, after Rudd playing well yesterday, I wouldn't be against giving Rudd the nod again just to try and keep that confidence. Yeah, but then if we go ahead and get beaten by a are they League Two? Yeah, they got relegated last season. Uh, if if we go and get beaten by a League Two side, do we really want Rudd to be subjected to a confidence hit after he's had his first good league game in True. eight months? <laughs> True. Yeah. I suppose it's catch twenty two, whichever keeper you play really, isn't it? I'll just start crow again. Concentrate. Ah fuck it, yeah, just chuck <laughs> him in. Just chuck him in. Yeah, uh, I doubt we'll ever see him in a North End shirt again, to be honest. If we do, it'll be too soon. Mhm. Uh, yeah, so I think I think we've probably covered all bases with with that and where we stand. Um, like I said, I think it's it's definitely up to Jaden Stockley to um, fight his own corner now and and give the manager something to think about. Uh, and just on the forwards, actually, not that I think Sean Maguire should have. Um, not been dropped but should have been moved away from playing centrally because I don't think it's his fault that we ever really played into his style if you will when he was playing up top on his own I mean it doesn't help when you're lumping balls forward to someone who's what 5 foot 10 I think he's 5 8 isn't it however he is he's small um, but I think he showed just how good he can be yesterday when he played off the left But yeah, I think for for me, as it stands after yesterday, where we're at at the time of recording, it's the the onus is definitely on Jaden to just give the manager something to think about and and pose him some questions. Yeah, I hope he does because I really like him. Yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not against him per se. Um, I just haven't seen anything that makes me 
like get excited, if you will. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think probably enough about that. Um, we'll move on to the next section, which is the <laughs> midfield conundrum between. Yeah, it should be an interesting chat. This. Yeah. Seeing as I have no idea where you stand on it. Well, uh, yesterday uh, we briefly mentioned it right at the start. We were a little bit surprised to see Alan Brown out of the first team. Yeah. Uh, that was more to uh, accommodate DJ in the number 10 role. I was mm-hmm. uh, letting Galley move back into a more deep line playmaker role rather than in this weird sort of inside left slash round deuter if, you're, if you play FM. Yeah, uh, sort of role that he's been uh, being utilised in more recently. Um, I think the way we controlled the midfield, particularly in the first half, um, almost justifies that decision. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I think as well, before we get into the meat and bones of this, I'm going to assume that we both agree with the fact that when it comes to choosing a midfield, Ben Pearson is the first name on the team sheet. Absolutely, yeah. 100%. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. Absolutely vital. You need, you need something. You need that anchor or the pivot or. Yeah, the way that he just sweeps up in front of the defence is second to none. I mean, I, d- I don't think he had his best game yesterday. To be honest, I thought. Don't get me wrong. I thought he played well. Um, but I thought he was probably along with maybe Darnell Fisher, one of the weaker players on the pitch yesterday. Um, just because, I think, personally, I think I saw more mistakes from him than, than usual. Um, he always strikes me in the way that he plays as someone that's very proud, wears his heart on his sleeve, and tries, obviously, people are always going to make mistakes, but always tries not to make a mistake. Um, so I think yesterday there was he took maybe one or two touches too many, or there was a couple of passes that went astray. Um but, again, this is Ben Pearson. The one thing that he always does is try to make amends if he fucks up. Now, I think it was in the first half, around the middle of the first half or towards the end of the first half, he got caught in possession in the cent- in pretty much in the centre circle um, and knew it was his fault and just chased the ball down. He, he, he covered... So you'd like to see that in a player, don't you? Yeah, covered probably 15, 20 yards straight away, no question. Wasn't wasn't one of them that you'll see from some of our players. Um, see it in the Premier League quite often, where if someone's dispossessed in the middle of the park, they'll often just stand around and look to point blame. Uh, sorry, look to point fingers at other other people. Um, you know, whether that's to say, why didn't you give me a shout or whatever, but. Uh, and it's something for me that no matter who the player is, even if I'm watching League Two, if a player can sort of, without outwardly holding his hands up and saying, yeah, I fucked up, but if he can show that in his performance and like Ben did yesterday, go and chase the ball down straight away and win possession back or crowd the player out and dispossess them, whether that's ball going out for a throw or a goal kick, whatever, that to me is what you want to see from your players all over the pitch. Um, and 
I think I think it's one of the reasons why Louis Malt's quite liked because he's quite similar in that he runs his bollocks off. He's always chasing. He's always chasing. Um, so yeah, I think yeah, Pearson is without a doubt for me the, the first name in the midfield on the team sheet, if not the first name on the team sheet. Oh, I mean, ooh, him and Gallagher, I would say, because Ben I, Davis. Yeah, maybe. Hugh, well, it would have to be Hughes, really. If, if yeah, as it stands, definitely. Well, even that, we might not, I'm not too sure on that one just yet. Yeah. Um, well, well, yeah, I mean, like you say, there was one moment that sticks out to me yesterday was that Windass chance that Rudd saved. Uh, Rudd got, uh, not Rudd, uh, Pearson got suckered into midfield quite easily and then the ball bypassed him. Yeah. And that's what, that's what created the chance. I just think, Sometimes when he's not having his best game, and it's not often because Pearson is usually right up there, top ten, um, top ten percentile. If you know what I mean. In terms yeah, if, if you were giving players ratings out of ten um, for, for games that he stays on the pitch for no reckless challenges, you'd say Pearson probably minimum would always come away with a seven. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, he, sorry, go on. He, he, yeah, it, it just. The way he sort of stormed forward and then the ball got sort of pinged past him. Yeah. In in the games where he's not having his best game, he can. I'm reluctant to use the phrase headless chicken, but it does. It is the phrase that springs to mind is that he will sort of storm in and um, leave the gap behind him. Yeah, he's, he can be a bit reckless, can't he, in that regard? It's, pro- it's probably the same thing that leads to him putting some of these um, questionable challenges in. It's the uh, sort of tunnel vision in trying to intercept a ball or go into yeah. play. In any- so, uh, sometimes I like to imagine him like a, like a dog chasing a ball. Yeah. Um, Area. Just no matter what is in his way, all he's bothered about is that ball. And they will get to that ball, come what may. Um, which is not a bad trait to have, but when you're snapping people in half, <laughs> probably not not ideal. But I think yesterday he was very hard done by. I think his his reputation went against him yesterday, without oh, a doubt. I didn't know if we were going to assess the booking, but I've said it on Twitter before. I don't know if I've said it on a pod before because I think we started doing the pod when the season was sort of drawing to a close last year. Yeah, I think the, the season had either just finished or it was coming to an end. Uh, so I don't know if it's something I've um, mentioned on the pod before, but I think Pearson, like, obviously, in no way am I saying he's an angel and he's um, getting wrongly uh, accused of being a quote-unquote dirty player. But I'd say a good 30-40% of the bookings he gets are things that other players wouldn't get booked for. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I absolutely agree with that. Like, yesterday, yesterday in particular, I personally don't think it was a foul. Um, I know that will definitely divide opinion. Some people will... Because that's another thing. Mm, that, no, I agree with you. I don't even think I don't even think there was a foul in it, to be honest. Um I watched, obviously saw it in real time and then I've rewatched parts of the game today and well, I sent you a video 
yeah. of of the the challenge slowed down. Clearly wins the ball, and I I was sitting that on the stand yesterday. You know, I was on the finish, so I was on the opposite side of the ground. But we all saw that he won the ball clearly. Now putting myself in a referee's shoes, which the last time I did that was refereeing a load of twelve-year-olds, and I got a copious amount of shit. So I'm I'm not backing myself as a referee, but putting myself in those shoes, I think the only reason that I can see that a referee might have booked him is because in the view of the challenge that I saw, he looked to have both feet off the ground. Now, by the letter of the law today, and again, correct, people will probably correct me if I'm wrong, if you go into a challenge with both feet off the ground, it's considered reckless and you're considered to be out of con. Sorry, not in control. Um, so Calvin Phillips did it in the lead. Now, he did connect with the player, and I think he was fortunate not to get a red. But he ended up walking away with a yellow. And again, the commentator said something along the lines of, he's gone in both feet off the ground. He's not intended to hurt the player, but the way that he's gone about the challenge is what's resulted in him being punished. And I think you could maybe apply that logic to Pearson as well. Maybe, but I mean, looking at it again, if both feet were off the floor, it was, we're talking centimetres. Yeah. And it's from it's from the front. He's got one. He's got one foot pointed directly towards the ball and one foot trailing, well, not trailing behind him, but underneath him. Mm. Um, what's he supposed to do with that yeah it's not like he can take it off for the challenge and just put it in his pocket and then get up and put it back on afterwards yeah and I don't think I don't think many other players would have been booked for that I mean if the referee's going to give a foul for the challenge being a little bit out of control if you uh, if you want to go with that then maybe it's a free kick for being out of control, bit of a bit of a talking to, like, come on, lad, let's not be going in like that. Yeah, well, like I said, I think I think it is the rule that if you go in with two feet off the ground, I think it's just a booking, regardless. I'll Could wrong. be wrong. Like I said, I'm not a referee, so it's not like I've read up on them. Um, but yeah, uh, no, going back to it, I, I completely agree. I don't even think it was a foul. Um, and I think he's been very hard done to. Yeah. Um, it happens quite a lot where um, he puts in a challenge, we all applaud and we think that's a really good challenge. Uh, the referee has a word um, with a fourth official or something and then decides to book him. I think it was the Norwich game last season at home. Are you thinking of the challenge on the halfway line? Uh, no, no. I think it the was, finny. was it? No, because I think it was a penalty. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no exactly what you're on about. And, and they missed the penalty, didn't they? Yeah, Rudd saved it, didn't they? Saved it, yeah. And, but um, I, rem- I remember thinking, all right, he's given a foul, and maybe it was a foul. I, I mean, I can't, I'd, I'd, have to, I'd have to watch it back again. I think from the replays that I saw, it was hard to say yeah. clearly whether it was a foul or not. But that one sticks in the mind particularly because he clearly gave the penalty, then started walking off to the edge. 
uh, in the way that referees do after they've given a penalty to sort of assume their position to watch the penalty from. He then saw that it was Pearson who'd put the challenge in and at the at that point decided to get the yellow card out. And I know that smacks of like conspiracy in a way. Having North End tinted glasses on. Yeah. But I watched it back a couple of times and I couldn't see a point at which he looked like he was going to book him until... He realised who it was. Until he realised who it was. Yeah. I um, think that, that was the case quite often last season though, wasn't it? That we would see a, a tackle, whether it be a home game or if we've not attended an away game on social media or on TV. And again, we could be accused of North End bias, but seeing it and just thinking, how the hell has that been given? Let alone, how's he got a yellow card? Um, I just think I'm fairly... Um, unbiased. Well, obviously, I struggle to be completely unbiased, but I like to think I'm fairly um, objective when it comes to looking at situations like that. Yeah. And I just think Pearson gets booked for his name. Mm. Most yeah, I think, I think his reputation definitely precedes him, doesn't it? Mm. Um, and you've and you got to feel for him, because like, while if you're an opposition fan, you're probably thinking, oh yeah, asking me to feel for Ben Pearson, that's not going to happen. But um, if he's trying to... I mean, he often says that he's try that he's going to try and sort of clean up his act. He's going to try and get less yellow cards. But if he's getting booked for perfectly decent challenges, mm. it's a hard task. It's a hard task to try and improve. Yeah, because I mean, either he changes who he is and he stops putting tackles in, which would just completely take away from him as a player. Yeah, it would. Um, I mean, he's got the technical skills to still be a good player without it, but it would change him massively. Mm. Um, or he's just got to accept the cards. And I don't... It sound a bit whiny, but I just think it's unfair. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, but going back to the, the sort of midfield conundrum, if you will, obviously I think we've made it pretty clear that Ben <laughs> is the first name on the team sheet. Um, I think the the question comes in that DJ's played really well yesterday in the number 10 um, which is where Brown usually plays and we've got Galley who sort of sat in alongside Pearson um, you, you've got to ask questions then of where, where does Alan Brown fit in now, obviously, Paul Gallagher's 34, I think. He's going to struggle to keep that level of consistency up over a season, I would imagine. Yeah. Um, and I think I don't think I've ever really seen much from Alan Brown when he's played in that position alongside Pearson to make yeah. me think... When he drops further back, he's a lot less effective. Yeah. Um, like we said before, he's got the legs to get around the pitch which is why I think him playing in that number 10 position especially away from home uh, suits him really well because he's just got the energy to to keep the ball up the top end of the pitch for us um, just from his running and his, his ability to get about the pitch 
But do you substitute Gallagher's range of passing to put Brown in to arguably have a weaker midfield in that regard? Or, and again, I know it's only one game, we talked about consistency with Rudd, so you'd say that DJ's got to be given a chance to show that he can be consistent playing the number 10 role, but can only go off what we saw yesterday. So the other one is, do you risk missing the the technical side of things that DJ brings in that number 10 and the ability to pick a pass and unlock a defence, if you will, to put Brown in there with his with his energy and his running. Um, so, yeah, it, it, for me, it is a bit of a, a tricky one. Uh, I love, absolutely love Alan Brown, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, he's one of my favourite players at the club at the minute. Um, but if if we keep up performance levels like yesterday, I struggle to see where he gets in regularly. Um, I mean, I was I was thinking about this before we recorded, and Alan Brown's too good a player to leave out on a consistent basis. I mean, he was joint top was joint top scorer last year, or did Robinson beat him by one or two? Uh, I think they both got 12, but I don't know if that was 12 in all comps or... I think it was in the league. Anyway, um, they, they, they both ended on 12 goals, I'm almost certain. Yeah. He's he's a good goal scorer. But yeah, I think he's, his ability in terms of on the volley, on the half volley, he yeah. can strike a ball. I mean, he's got his own bloody wonder goal compilation. Yeah. But I um, just don't think... He has the. Oh, he can pass the ball though. That's the thing. Yeah, he can. I think his range of passing is good. Yeah. Um, but would, but would you put him on a level with Gallagher? I was thinking more with DJ in terms of. Um, so playing for playing in that number ten. In terms of key, in terms of key key turning passes and getting through, if you will, but. Um, yeah, I thought it might be used more in an away game, Brown. Yeah, I think I think um, he would suit um, that. A ten plays more as an eight, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But oh, I don't know. That's again it's a tough one, isn't it? Again, this is one of those things where it's a nice problem to have. Mm, definitely. Where we've, where we've got lots of players who seem to be more than capable of doing a job for us. You definitely but, can't say the same about left back at the minute. No. Nah. We just we just got to choose which job we want doing on any specific game. It yeah. might it might vary from game to game. I think I think that clears it up though. To be honest, I think it makes it less of a conundrum and more of a. It comes down to how the manager sees fit on certain games and against certain opposition. Yeah. Um, I think maybe he made a mistake in playing Brown in the ten away at Millwall, um, and pretty much lining up in the exact same way that he did last year. I think DJ, based off, again, I know it's only one game, but based off yesterday's performance, I think DJ would have been better suited playing in the 10 against Millwall and trying to pick a pass and unlock the defence to create an opportunity or two for us. But anyway, that that game's gone. We can't obviously change it now. But yeah, I I think depending on the type of game, for the most part, will depend on 
who plays in that position. But I think the key thing for Alex Neal at this point now is to actually play players in their position. Yeah. I think, obviously, we discussed it with DJ before. He doesn't really suit that deeper role. Um, oh, we've talked about square pegs in round holes a lot. With yeah. the fullbacks and mm-hmm. looking at Joe Rafferty as uh, fourth choice right back, but second choice left back. Madness. Um, Third if, choice right back. Okay. He's only got Clark and Fisher ahead of him. Oh, yeah, third. Um, but yeah, DJ was probably a player we could fit into that category of being used in the wrong place. Yeah, without a doubt. Used him in a deep line role. And it's good to see he's now being thought of as a number 10. Hopefully that is a uh, a more permanent thing. Yeah, fingers crossed. Definitely. Um, and then you've got Gallagher, um, who keeps surprising me. Yeah. There's never, in my eyes, been a doubt about his ability. I think it's more his capacity to get through a game, which you would imagine would become less and less through the season. I would be gobsmacked if we saw him in any shape or form on Tuesday. Um, maybe he'll be on the bench with Ledson being banned. Um, but... Even though it in the summer, and I think the three of us discussed it, me, you and Ollie, I don't think um, any of us considered midfield to be a position that we needed to strengthen in the summer. Uh. Um, and I think we'd, we'd all said that it was probably one that we'd have to look at come January, heading into next season. Much like um, you could argue Ledson has been with coming in and maybe having an eye on the future as opposed to a more immediate role. But obviously, the signing of Tom Bayliss happened. Um, And from a club point of view, if you can sign a player like that, you're not going to pass up on it, whether you need it or not. Um, So, yeah, I think there's been a bit of talk about how he could go some way towards being Gally's... Or long-term slash short-term replacement in games that he can't. Yeah, I think we'll have a massive um, we'll have a massive conundrum on our hands if Bayless has a good game again, uh, on Tuesday, assuming he gets minutes. Yeah, I think we will. Um, but again, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. If, for example, that is the case, you could argue that Bayless coming in and having a bigger impact this season, thus you would imagine maybe Gallagher playing less could result in another year for Galley. Yeah, keeps his legs legs a bit fresh. He can maybe go into next season with an eye on playing even fewer games, but staying in the club, being a a voice for the youngsters in the squad uh, and a good role model, because I don't think there's any doubt about that. Mm. I don't want him to leave the club at any point. No, definitely not. Um, He's one that I would love to see sort of much like John Welsh was before he left, getting involved with the coaching, um, whether with the youth or with the first team. Uh, but obviously that depends on him and what he wants to do. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, I think having brought Tom Bayless in at the moment gives the manager good options, but it also gives the club, um, provided he plays and performs how we would expect him to perform, I think it gives the club a bit more assurance in midfield and would allow us going into the next window in January to focus on the areas that I think have been evident of needed strengthening all summer. Uh, but again, I mean, we've said that this is the, the Brown, Gallagher and Pearson conundrum, but like you said, if Bayless comes in, starts playing well, suddenly becomes four men competing for two spots really five if you include DJ yeah five players competing for three spots um, and I'll use that old cliche of it's a good headache to have for the manager yeah definitely but you know we've said it before it's a long season it's going to be injury suspensions uh, I think Ollie mentioned in the last pod if Hughes and I don't want to speculate too much about his hamstring, but he did look like he pulled up right at the end yesterday. Yeah. Uh, he made that lung-busting run when we were 3-0 up in the 92nd minute <laughs> to, to try and overlap for uh, Maguire. Yeah. And then uh, felt the back of his leg quite ominously. And Ollie mentioned in the last pod, I think, about um, potentially using DJ as a cover left-back. if Yeah. Maybe that's uh, maybe that'll be where Alan Brown gets a look back into the team. It's because DJ's suddenly going to have to be playing it. Well, I mean, if if the manager's keen on keeping that balance in terms of right foot, left foot, then yeah, he's probably um, option really. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've got any other left footers, have we? Yes. Obviously, Billy Bowden, but I could probably do a better job at left back than him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one, definitely. Um, but I think. The only thing that can come from it is positives. Having players competing for positions, you would like to think, would just bring the best out of all the others. Mm. So much like the sort of Louis Malt, Jaden Stockley situation, you would rather, as from a managerial point of view, have that as your... Um, your problem to solve, if you will, versus players that are massively I'll, out of form. Yeah. I was, was going to say rather than a Rudd or Maxwell choice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, Rudd did have a good game against Wigan. But, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think that's probably a podcast. Yeah. Cool, right. Um yeah, so thanks for listening to episode 11 of the From the Finney podcast. Um, as usual, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and whatever other platforms you get your podcasts on if they allow you to subscribe, which I'm sure they would. Um, sounds a bit beggy, but if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be mint. I think we have eight at the moment, and we're currently five stars. So, yeah, if you could leave us a review, that would be wonderful. Um, as usual we're on social media we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter uh, Twitter followers are building up nicely I think at the time of recording we've got 740 so yeah if you're listening to this and you're not following us or if you've got friends who are North End fans and they're not following us then 
get them told. Um, I'd like to hit maybe a thousand followers by Christmas. What do you reckon, Dan? Is that a reasonable yeah. target? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. We, uh, we were talking about that in uh, in about June, and we only thought thousand by Christmas. Maybe sounds a little bit unrealistic, but we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, slowly, slowly. Watch now. Podcast goes out. People listen to it. Unfollow. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So if you're not already keeping up to date with us on social media, then just have a look on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We're on there. Just search for From the Finney, and you'll find us on there. And obviously, we've got the website. Um, we're probably not going to publish that many match reviews just because we'll be doing a podcast pretty much after every game. I'm not sure how we're going to go about the midweek games just yet. Um, whether we'll maybe do a written one for the midweek ones and cover the weekend ones in the podcast or wait until the weekend one and cover both games. I'm not sure, but we'll we'll work something out. Um, so, yeah, keep up with all the content on the website. Um, and... Yeah, that's it. Thanks for listening. And uh, Dan, thank you for joining me, as always. Thanks for having me again. No problem. It's been a pleasure. Cool. See you in a bit, mate. See ya. Bye.